My name is Carl Palmer. I was a pastor here for a while, and I, by the grace of God, I've been invited. Uh, our pastor, Dave, has invited me to come and share the word with you today, for which I am very grateful, so glad to be here. One of the joys of my life in these days is to have a friend like Dave and to be able to share ministry with him. I know a few things uh, that you might not know. Um, <laughs> Because we share together about things that probably only preachers really understand and think about. So I just want to tell you how much I appreciate my brother's love for this church and for God and for you. Uh, he, the Lord has blessed us uh, with Pastor Dave and his family, and I'm grateful to count him a friend. Uh, it is one of my joys also to travel around the world in these days of my life to um, to primarily in what we call the majority world, the places uh, mostly in Africa and Asia where most of the pastors, literally most, sometimes all uh, in certain areas, the pastors and leaders have very little or sometimes no training for ministry whatsoever. I leave on Thursday for Nepal. This will be trip number six, I think, for me, and it's one of the most amazing places in the world. Um, a week from now, I'll be in Kathmandu, and we'll have a pastor's conference happening there. And then we get on a plane, we fly to the far western part of Nepal, as far as you can go in Nepal. And we have another pastor's gathering there. And in, in these remote areas of Nepal in particular, we gather about 30, 40, 50 pastors together, and we teach them simple things about God, his word, and the ministry. And they are so amazingly grateful because... Almost all of them, they're, they're, the leaders in, in Kathmandu are saying 85 to 90% of the pastors in Nepal have no formal training whatsoever. And you just have to think about what that means for the church of Jesus Christ to have a pastor who doesn't, has never been to Bible college, really doesn't understand much about the Word of God. Nobody's really helped him to know how to teach the Word of God, how to shepherd people, how to counsel, how to love. But they're so committed to God and so faithful to preach the gospel and they're amazing, just amazing, beautiful people. And they're so thankful that we come just to give them a, a little help. So if you think of uh, me in the next couple of weeks, I would appreciate your prayers. It's a great joy to be part of your missionary family. I'm so grateful for those of you who pray and give and send. Uh, it matters. And I wish I had time with each one of you to tell you the ways in which I know that it matters. And I've seen it again and again and again. I wanted to talk to you about something that I often talk to pastors, particularly in Nepal, about. About a man in the Old Testament. His name is Joshua. And I ask you now to take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of Joshua. It is book number six, I think, in the Old Testament. After the five books of what we call the Pentateuch comes the book of Joshua. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 169. And one of the things that I've discovered is that Joshua resonates with so many of the pastors in Africa and Asia because they, they believe that God has called them to conquer the land for God. Not in the physical way that Joshua was called to conquer the land uh, with warfare, but in a spiritual warfare to conquer the enemies that have taken over places in the world like Nepal. The hopelessness of Hinduism is stifling and such an incredibly tragic thing. And when you run into people who have been saved by Jesus and they know the grace of God, they are transformed. And they so long to reach their own people. And so they preach the gospel and they plant churches and then they say, we don't know what to do now. 
because we haven't been trained, and so they're so grateful that we come. But one of the things that they do when they look at Joshua, they think, I identify with Joshua and the challenges that Joshua faced. And one of the things we try to do is we try to teach them some of the very basic kind of things about the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible, and how it fits together, and how the things that happen in the Old Testament are, in so many cases, physical illustrations and principles that now have a spiritual application in the New Testament. Paul said very much that thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, well, the things that were written down were written down to be examples for us. And what I've discovered is I've looked again and again at the life of Joshua. I've discovered it's not only convicting for these pastors, it's so convicting for me. And it's convicting right now in this place where I am in my life and I want to share just a few very basic kind of things, particularly out of the first nine verses of the book of Joshua. So I'd like you to follow along with me there. And we're going to ask the question, why was Joshua so powerfully used by God? So remember the story, of course. You, you know about the exodus, how God's people, the Jewish people, were slaves in Egypt. And God raised up a man called Moses you know, to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go so they can go and worship me, and, you know, and, and Pharaoh resisted, and then came ten plagues and disasters on Egypt, and finally Pharaoh released the people, but then he chased them out as they headed towards the Red Sea, you remember? You've seen the movie, right? So... <laughs> There they are before the Red Sea and Charlton Heston. No, Moses stands before the Red Sea with his staff and, you know, and the sea splits and they all cross on dry land and the army goes after them. And then, bam, you know, and, and now they're free. And then you'd think God would send them right up to the promised land to conquer it, but instead he sends them south into what's called the Sinai Desert to a place called Mount Sinai. And there Moses goes up the mountain at the call of God. Joshua follows along with him. And God speaks to Moses and gives him his commands and his law. And he gives them the principles and the commandments by which God's people are to live as the, the chosen people of God in the promised land. And he tells them about the tabernacle and the sacrifices, all of which are illustrations of spiritual truth that we discover in the New Testament. So then after a period of time, they leave Mount Sinai, they head up towards the promised land, and now is the time to conquer the land as God commanded. He had judged the children, the people in Canaan, and now he was given the land to the Jewish people. And they stopped in a place called Kadesh Barnea. You remember they sent out 12 spies, and they went out to spy out the land. The guys came back, and 10 of them said, there's no way we can conquer this land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants. There's walled cities. It's impossible. Let's go back to Egypt. God is not happy with this idea. But there are two men who stood firm and said, no, God has given us the land. He will surely enable us to conquer. We are stronger than because God is with us. Those two men were Joshua and Caleb. So God then judges the people, sends them back into the wilderness. They wander around for 40 years. That whole generation dies off except Joshua and Caleb. And after 40 years, it's time to go again and now conquer the land. But instead of going directly into the land, God leads them around behind the Jordan River. So now they're camped next to the Jordan River, which the Bible says is at flood stage, which means nobody could cross it now. And they're there with all the army and all the animals and all the women and children and the wagons and everything. And they're looking at this river. And they stared at it for three days. And that's when we come to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what God says to Joshua. Follow along in your Bible if you would. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea, that is the Mediterranean on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How incredible is that? This is one of the richest places in the word of God. You ponder this for a while, and God will teach you many things, and he will put it in your heart, and you will be able to teach others things that he will apply in your life, in your heart. And I want to say to you, it's right there for you. Dig deep into the word of God. The question I have for you is, why was Joshua so powerfully used? He's one of the few places, uh, few people in all the scripture where I don't think anything is negative said about him in all the scripture. He was deceived one time, but that's the only thing I can think about. Joshua was a faithful servant of Christ. And the name Joshua and the name Jesus are really the same name, Yeshua. And Joshua is an illustration of Jesus for us because Jesus is our great conqueror and king and general and leader. And now Joshua is the pattern of the Old Testament of which the reality is Christ. So when we look at this, we discover what Joshua did is the same thing that Jesus did. And what Joshua and Jesus did is the same thing that we can do because we have Jesus. So what then, why was Joshua so powerfully used by God and what can we learn from him about our lives. And I want to suggest three things. The first is this. Joshua was certain that God had called him to this task. Now, when you think about that, you say, well, of course, duh. I mean, it, you, when you read, the, read it, it says, the Lord spoke to Joshua. I don't know about you, but every now and then I get a little jealous that they heard God with their ears, like he spoke out loud. You ever, you ever think about that? You think, you know, I mean, they knew God was calling because he talked out loud to them and he doesn't do that for me. He's never done that for me. So Joshua knew that he was called. God had told him. God had set him apart. God had told Moses to commission him back in Deuteronomy and in the book of Numbers. And now here, particularly, God speaks to him. And God is speaking out loud to Joshua. Now Joshua knows. He knows for certain that God has called him to this task. Moses is gone and somebody's got to lead the people and Joshua has been his his servant and assistant for all these years he's been wandering around in the desert with Moses for 40 years 
And now the time has come to conquer the land. And Joshua knew that he was called. Now, you just have to pause and think for a moment about the word call. I don't know about you and what your experience has been, but this is a confusing word to many of us. Uh, and the reality is, is that people use it in radically different ways. And so I want to suggest a few things that I've learned just to offer you some thoughts about this whole thing about calling. Because God called Joshua in a very specific, vocal, out loud kind of way through circumstances, but he spoke out loud to him. And so Joshua knew for certain. But, so we don't have really that kind of confidence. But let me tell you a few things. This is under point one, by the way that I've learned about this thing called call. The first is this, God does call people, but he calls people in, in very different ways. We could have a little discussion here and you'd say, has God ever called you and it, anything at all? And you'd say, yeah, he has. And then you say, how did he do that? And we'd have different stories. I mean, I've heard some amazing stories, in, in, particularly in Asia and Africa, about how God has called some people, astounding kind of things that have never been close to anything I've experienced, but I believe them. So one of the things we recognize is that God does call people in lots of different ways, in different times, in different forms. The second thing we know is that saying that God has called me is a very serious thing. And can I just suggest to you that we sometimes use this terminology pretty easily. And I want to just say to you, be careful. Be careful about saying, God called me. I, I don't know what happens to you when somebody says to you, God called me to this. Uh, I mean, it's happened to me many times as a pastor, and I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think he did, but I'm not going to say anything, because <laughs> if God said it, I mean, I don't want to be saying, no, he didn't, right? <laughs> as a young pastor, I had an experience one time where I needed an assistant, I interviewed people, and two of the people came in, sat down, and two of them said, in sequence, the same morning, God has called me to have this job. Now, I, I'm thinking, okay, who made a mistake here? God, <laughs> me, them, what, you know. So I knew that it's not always true when people say God has called me. So be careful about that language. The other thing I've learned is that there is nothing as powerful of this as this if you know it to be so. If you are certain that God has called you to this, then there's nothing like it. And we often talk about God calling you to a ministry. I believe God called me to become to be a pastor here. And, and frankly, there were a few times when I wanted to walk away. Not that we have anybody in our church that would ever influence me to do that, of course. But sometimes things are hard, right? And you just want to quit. But you believe God has called you, and so you persevere. Because you know God has called you. You cannot walk away until God releases you from the call. Are you, are you tracking with me here? So it's a, there's a great basis of confidence and security when you know. But it's difficult to know sometimes. And so I tell people, pray and ask God to show you, speak to you in a way you can understand what God is calling you to do. And then the fourth thing I want to say to you about call is perhaps the most important thing of all. And that is that God is always calling his people and one of our problems is that we use this word call so many times about location 
about a job, about a ministry, about shall we move here, shall we take this position, shall we do this or shall we do that? And it's really, it's really sort of outside there. Is God leading me that way? Is God calling me to do that? And we struggle to try to figure it out and, and sometimes it's clear to us and sometimes it's not. But I want to suggest to you that that's not the main way in which the Bible uses the word call. It was many years ago, I was a young pastor, and I had this amazing privilege of connecting with a man called J. Oswald Sanders. He was in his 80s, and we got him to come to this church where I was a pastor in California, and he taught our elders and our pastors, and he'd stand there and he'd talk for hours and never look at a note. He was just an amazing man of God. And, and then we got him together what we called our missionary candidates. Young people wanted to go to the mission field, and I'll never forget what he said. I don't know if it was original with him or if he got it from somebody else. He said, he said, the will of God for you has very little to do with the location of your feet. I'm a mission pastor, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, we're trying to get them to understand God's calling to the mission field, you know, and, and got to go, right? So I go, 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 you know, and so I reflected on that for a while. And then, I, then he began to unpack what he meant. He said, look, you, you don't know whether God's calling you to go this or take that job or do this. You're trying to figure that out, and that's really good, and you should pray and do all that. But you know what God has called you to. Let's talk about basics, men. Do you know that Almighty God has called you to love your wife? Yes or no? Absolutely yes. Is that clear to you? You have any doubt about that call? Is that something you need to pray about? Does God, is God calling you to be kind, to forgive, to serve, to persevere? Is God calling you to do those things? Yes or no, my friends? How do you know? Because it's written down. It's like God knows, I need to write it down for these people. Right? <laughs> or, or they'll forget it. But as soon as it's written down, and you get it, and you understand it, you know God's called me to that. And, and I may not know if God's called me to this job, but I knew that God, know that God's called me to love my wife. It's very clear to me. Don't need to debate it don't need to pray about it. I just need to obey it and do it, right? So I'm going to say to you, God has called, you could make, sit down with a piece of paper and say, what has God called me to? What am I certain that God has called me to? Not the question marks, but what am I certain God has called me to? And you will come up with an amazing list of things. You got children? Has God called you to do anything with your children? Is it clear to you? Some basics? You don't know everything, of course. Has God called you to be pure? Has God called you to be faithful? Has God called you to pray? Has God, I mean, it goes on and on, doesn't it? Look, so let's use the word call in a real clear way. But Joshua was called to those things, but he was also called to lead. So what in my life has God called me to? That's the question I have for you. You could ask yourself, what in my life has God called me to? And this has to do with the kind of person you are kind of thing that's happening in your heart, the kind of behavior that you have, the kind of love that you feel, the kind of, the, the voice that you listen to, the obedience that you choose. This is about whether or not you're living the life that Jesus died to give to you. He's called you to that, right? And he's gifted us so that this can be our experience. And it's written down in the book. 
and it's inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and it's for every disciple of Jesus. Are you with me so far? Okay, second thing then, why was Joshua powerfully used? It was because Joshua obeyed God's command to be strong and courageous. He obeyed God's command to be strong and courageous. Think about the, what Joshua was facing. I mean, he's got these, this ragtag army of people that that been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Many of them were very young. And now they're supposed to go over and one of the great walled cities is Jericho and they're going to conquer this land. They don't even know how to get across the river for one thing. And how in the world are they going to do this? And Joshua is supposed to be the general. He's never done this before. We're going to conquer a whole land and God gives the parameters of what the land he's given to him. And he says it's from here to here to the Mediterranean to the Euphrates down here up to, I mean, so Joshua, conquer it, right? Lead the people. And Joshua is facing this incredible challenge, something that he has never, ever, ever done before. And so God says, I'm calling you. And then immediately he says this, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then he says it again, be strong and very courageous, Joshua. And then he says it again, be strong and courageous, Joshua. When God says something three times so clearly, you know that this is, right? So that's the way in which, one of the ways in which God emphasizes things. He says the same thing to us again and again. Have you heard that? Where God has been repeating the same thing to you for some time? And now you begin to realize, okay, it's time for me to actually obey this and do this. When God wants to emphasize, he, he repeats those. So now God is saying to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Now, as soon as you say that, we American types go, okay, what kind of strong are you talking about here? What kind of courageous are you talking about? Is this for all of us? Are all of us supposed to be strong and courageous? I've noticed in my life some people are obviously stronger than I am. They're more courageous. They're risk takers. And by the way, our world has a view of strong and courageous. It's very different from what the Bible teaches. You've noticed this? Like in the world, there are these people who are like courageous. And sometimes we call them risk takers or other names like wackos. And they... <laughs> They climb up on a mountain and they strap themselves into this like fabric suit and a helmet and then they leap off the mountain. And they, I mean, have you seen this? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I mean, and people are just doing this kind of stuff all the time. They like risk takers and you think, whoa, that's courage, you know. I don't, I don't know if it is, but some people think that, you know. Or some people are obviously strong. You look at them and you, they're smart, they're intelligent, they're good looking, they have great training, they have education, you know, they, their personality is a strong personality, you know, they're great leaders, you know, and so we look at them and you think, whoa, that's, that person is strong. I'm not strong, that person is strong. So we tend to compare ourselves, you know. So does God want every one of his people to be strong and courageous? And you know that the world's view of strong and courageous can go, can go deep, deeply bad any time. So many times it's like arrogance, right? And pride, and it can turn nasty in, in a hurry. And so that's not the kind of strong and courageous. What, in what way was Joshua strong and courageous? How did he obey that command? I think what we have to do is we have to think again about what the Bible teaches about being strong 
and courageous. And what does it teach? Does it teach? Look, you got to go look deep down within yourself and find the strength that you have so that you can be strong to do what you're supposed to do. How you, how you doing with that one, right? Or you're supposed to be courageous. You can do it, you know, and you get people cheerleading for you. You can do it, you can do it. And you're thinking, I can't do it. I, you know, what does God actually want? And then when we look at the Bible, we discover that God has a way of being strong and courageous. And it seems counterintuitive. It seems like it's upside down when in fact it's actually right side up. And then we begin to realize when we look at the word of God that the word of God is saying the Christian, the follower of Christ and Joshua is not to, be, not to rely, let me say it like this, not a reliance on my own ability, my own skill, my own boldness, my own nerve, rather a dependence upon God's power in our weakness. Oh, that's the kind of strong. And I don't know about you, but this bugs me a little. Right? Really? Is that the way he wants me to be strong? My, God's power in my weakness. Does the Bible really teach this? I want to say to you, yes. Perhaps for me, the best illustration is Paul's life in, in, in 2 Corinthians. Remember in 2 Corinthians, was it chapter 10 or 11 or somewhere in there? He had this vision. Remember that? He had a vision of heaven. You know, and so... The way I read it is that I had this vision of heaven and my head was getting really inflated and I was thinking, I am really the super saint. And then God gave me something to humble me. You remember what it was? What did Paul call it? A thorn in the flesh. Now, that's like this mysterious terminology. We're not even sure exactly what it was. All I know is if you get a thorn in your flesh somewhere, it bothers you, right? You're not going to do anything until you get this thing out, right? And Paul had this thorn in the flesh that brought him to a place of great weakness. And then, and then the Bible said, Paul said, I, I prayed to the Lord three times. This is the great apostle Paul who walks with God, you know, and works miracles and stuff. He prayed to the Lord three times to take it away. And God said, no. Does that happen? Oh, yeah. But God didn't just say no. He said this. My grace is sufficient for you. I, I'd like a little more than sufficient. You know what I mean? I was like, I'd like to be strong, right? I'd like to, I'd like to have more than just what's sufficient. But God told Joshua, or God, God, God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Oh, man. Really? Did God actually bring the great Apostle Paul to the place of weakness? And if so, why? See, we look at the Apostle Paul and we think of his great courage and, you know, and boldness of Paul, the great power that he had, and, and, and yet God is constantly, when you read how Paul writes to the church at Corinth and other churches, he's always saying, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. We say, really? I mean, is that true or not? Is that just like religious words? Paul goes on and he says, he wrote this, he said, that's true, what God told me. And then he said, I will therefore boast or I will glory all the more gladly in my weaknesses. You know anybody who does that? 
I mean, you glory in your weaknesses. I want to I want to ignore my weaknesses. I got some weaknesses going on right now. I don't even want to tell you about because I want you to think of me differently, right? We don't go around saying, "Let me tell, let me I'm glorying in my weaknesses today." I got a list. Hold on, right? We don't do that, right? But Paul's saying, "I will boast all the more glad in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me." It is boasting in my weakness that allows the power of God to rest upon me. And then he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. No, I don't want to be content with weaknesses. Are you content with your weaknesses? Are you happy? I don't know if happy is the right word. Let's just use the word content, right? You okay with the weakness thing? Don't you want all that to go away? And to, for you to be like, Stronger in every area of life. I am content with weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Does it, is that really how it works? Does it work that way? I mean, seriously, does, I mean, yeah. right? Is this religious jargon, you know? Is this like stuff that pastors and people use to try to confuse us? You know, are we... Is that the way we're supposed to live? Are we supposed to live in the world's view of what is strong and powerful and, and try to get that? I want to be Superman. I want to be Wonder Woman. Like I, I, want to, like, I want to win everything. Or this thing, I delight in my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. And I let myself be weak in the ways that God allows me or wants me to be weak. I will be weak and then I'll depend upon God to do something in my weakness and if he does guess who gets the glory if he does if something wonderful happens over here I get the glory all right I'm strong right I think this of this is not simply a self-confidence but a God confidence not simply a self-confidence but a God confidence you know some people who are self-confident and that can so easily move into arrogance and all kinds of other kind of problems. So how can we, go back again to Joshua, how can we actually describe what Joshua's strength and courage was? There is a clue right here in our text, but think about this. When you read the book of Joshua, you do not ever see Joshua on the front line with his sword and his spear and shield leading the guys into battle. He's never the, he's never the one saying, you are... I mean, the guys are not saying to him, you are so amazingly, you know, you're such a great warrior. You're so courageous and strong and everything. We're going to follow you. You're going to be the, the point of the wedge. You know, I mean, you just don't see that anywhere. But he was strong and courageous. How was he strong and courageous? I think we can best describe Joshua's strength and courage by saying he had this inner commitment to do what God told him to do even though it was so strange at times I mean you just read the first seven chapters of Joshua and see what God told Joshua to do I mean some of it is just stunning I mean now you just have to sort of put yourself in his place and you you know you've seen this before you know so they're looking at the river 
They don't know how they're going to cross the river. They don't have any boats. They don't have any bridges. They can't, I mean, you can't conquer the land until you can get across the river, after all. I mean, what are we doing here? Why did God lead us to this side? He could have just, I mean, but now here we are. So what do we do? And so Joshua gathers the priests together, and he says, Okay, priests, let me tell you the plan of God. What I want you guys to do is I want you to go take up the Ark of the Covenant, the beautiful golden box, you remember, with angels' wings on it, carried the, the law of God, this incredible holy thing that you couldn't touch without dying. And, I mean, this thing that was a reflection, an illustration of the presence of God with him. I want you priests to take this thing up, and I want you to walk down into the water with it. <laughs> How'd you like to be one of the priests with that, that strategy, right? I mean, what? I mean... We care for this thing. I mean, the last thing in the world we're going to do is like put it in danger of any kind. And, and, but what did it take for Joshua to tell those priests? He didn't tell them, now here's what God's going to do when you walk down into the water. Because he didn't know for sure. God didn't apparently tell Joshua that. He just said, this is what you guys got to do. It took some courage and strength to obey what God said and tell other people what God said and what they must do. Now I am the leader, this is what you must do. And they did it. And you read the, the chapter, it's amazing. Well, how about when they get on the other side, right? They get on the other side and now they're ready to conquer the land, right? Now it's battle time, you know? And then the first word of God to Joshua is, get all the men and circumcise them. Now, I could spend a little time here, and you would understand why this is a really difficult command. But, really? We're going to start conquering the land by everybody getting incapacitated for a while, right? And we're going to start with the men. I mean, it's one thing to circumcise an eight-year-old baby. It's another, anyway. So, so and then, then it's like, there's Jericho. Oh, and so Joshua now gets all the generals together. You know, well, even... Never mind. So he gets all the generals together and he says, Now, guys, here's what we're going to do. You know, here's the plan of God, the strategy for conquering Jericho. We're going to march out tomorrow morning. We're going to walk around the city. And then we're going to go back to camp. And the second day, we're going to walk around the city. And then go back in the third, same. fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day, we're going to walk around the city seven times. We're all going to turn toward the city and we're going to shout. I mean, this is Joshua telling the generals, well, this is the battle plan, right? I mean, it took some level of courage, right, and strength to tell these guys, this is what God wants, and we're going to do it. You see, it wasn't about Joshua leading the way, you know, beating the wall down. It was about Joshua telling what God said to do, and we're going to submit to it, and we're going to obey it, and come along, guys, right? That, now that is strength and courage in dependence, right? Because if God doesn't do anything, you're going to look like a total idiot here. But you're counting on God to do something, even though you're not exactly sure what it's going to be. So this strength and courage is something that chooses to carefully follow God's word, especially when God's instruction seems illogical, difficult, or even impossible. Has God told you to do anything that seems illogical to you?
Has God told you anything to do that seems really difficult to do? Forgiveness. Give. Serve. Love. Be faithful. Has God given to you anything that seems, God told you to do something that seems impossible? Just impossible. That's impossible. You can't do that. You can't do that today. Maybe you could do that a generation ago. Maybe I could do it in my day, but I can't do it now as a young person. Can't do that. You want an interesting experience sometime, get some young people together and, and say, let's, let's talk about God's idea of sexual purity. And that'll be an interesting experience for you. I've done it. And they say, you know, the way I read the book, it goes something like this. The design of God is, we love everybody, but the design of God is a man and a woman committing themselves in marriage for life and for sexual activity to be confined to that relationship and that relationship alone. And people will say, that is illogical. I mean, I've had men look me right in the eye and say, you can't do that. You can, I mean, you, that's illogical. Or, that's really, really difficult. Everybody will say, that's diff- is that difficult? Be honest. Is that difficult? Yeah, absolutely it is. Is it impossible? Seems like it, right? Is it the plan of God? Does it take some courage and strength to actually obey what God says when you don't fully understand why it's... The, why you got to do that, right? Why? Sometimes we don't even understand when God calls us to do it. God doesn't say, wait until you really get under, understand all the philosophical reasons and all the practical things, and then you can choose to obey. He just says, this is my will. This is my design. I have a design, and by the way, it's a really good design, so trust me, it's the best design. And we go, okay. Right? Listen. Joshua was strong and courageous, not by his own personal inner strength and bravery. He was strong and courageous by choosing to stand firm, listen to God, and do what God said to do. And that is strength and courage. And it's difficult. The third thing that made Joshua a great leader was he was confident that God was present and powerful. Joshua knew this. That's another advantage Joshua had because Joshua had had 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Joshua had been in Egypt. He was a slave in Egypt. He knew what God had done in Egypt. He knew what God had done through, through Moses. He saw it. He saw the power of God. He went up the mountain of God. He saw the glory of God. He saw the miracles. He saw the victories. He saw the ground split open when God was unhappy. He saw the provision of manna. He saw the provision of water. He saw God's glory again and again and again in the tabernacle and the sacrifices. Joshua Joshua saw it. He didn't have to be persuaded that God was glorious and powerful. And now, the word of God to Joshua is, Now, Joshua, I'm with you. And that's why the book begins the way it does, because the book begins with, Joshua, Moses is dead. Moses is dead. He's gone. He's gone. He's not the man anymore. You are. You're the one that I'm calling now because the plan of God doesn't change even when God brings in another person to lead or to serve. So God's plan now is for it to work through Joshua. 
And, and Joshua had witnessed how God was with Moses. That's the little word that appears again and again and again. With Moses. God was with Moses. And now God says to Joshua, I am with you. You can meditate on the word with and you will find some wonderful things. Is God with us? What was the source then of Joshua's strength and his courage? What would he do? How could he possibly do this? When God said to be strong and courageous, how could, how could he obey? And once more, the text gives us some clue. When you actually read it, here's what you see. You see in verse 5, God says to Joshua, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you, Joshua. So be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Obey my law. Be strong and very courageous. And then at the end, verse 9, do not be afraid for the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. Do you see this? It's like a sandwich. It's a Bible sandwich. At the top of it is, I am with you, Joshua. I will never leave you. At the bottom is, don't be afraid because the Lord your God is with you. You can do the strong, powerful, obey my word because I am with you. Do you see it? If there wasn't there, we would have no hope of being strong and courageous. But God has promised Every one of these things to us. I'm so glad we're going to launch in into a, you know, an exploration of the ministry of the Spirit of God. Because it is the Spirit of God that enables us. It is the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God and empowers us. It's the Spirit of God that makes us strong enough to obey and courageous enough to choose it's not about your human personality or strength. God has never, ever been in the, the whole idea of separate classes of Christians, some who are really strong and courageous and obedient, and others, the rest of us, who are just coasting to glory. It was never the plan. Never, ever the plan. So if you're thinking somehow that I'm saying to you, look down deep within yourself to look to see what you can find or the power that you need. No. No, no. You listen to the master. He said, when, you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive, what's the word? Power. Acts 1.8. He told him in John 14, he's going to be in you, he'll be with you, he will never leave you. You can do what God commands you to do. Not because of the strength that you feel in yourself, not because of your knowledge or your understanding, although that, those help. You can do what God calls you to do. If the Spirit of God is alive in you and you're listening to God and then taking what God says to you from his word and then saying, now, Lord, enable me. Give me what I need. And by the way, this promise to be with us is repeated in the, Old, in the New Testament again and again for us. Hebrews 13, 5, 6, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Three things then. I'm going to be used by God if I'm certain what he has called me to. If I obey God's command to be strong and courageous, this is a choice in dependence upon the Spirit of God and obedience to the Word of God. And I am confident that God is present and powerful. 
So you need some help in this. It's a tall order. I'm, it's only taken me some years to even get to this place of having a grasp. There's something going to happen today in the next few minutes. It's actually quite amazing and potentially powerful for you. One of the things I've so enjoyed seeing uh, here in our church in these days is when we take communion, there are people who stand around the back and over here and they're kind of in the shadows a little bit and they stand, they just stand there, you know, and sometimes we say something about them and sometimes we forget, but I look at those people and I well, who are they? And they're just like the normal people in our church, they're servant leaders in our church and they, and they care about you. They love you. They want you to have everything that God wants to give to you. And, and what they offer to do is simply to pray for you. I don't know if you understand this prayer thing. I don't. All I know is, is that sometimes I don't have because I don't ask. And when the time comes that God says to me, Carl, you need to work on this, that's when I need someone to lay a hand on my shoulder and pray for me. They will do that. Maybe their husband, maybe you just need to take the hand of your wife and say, we need a little rejuvenation in our marriage. I want to commit myself to be called to be your loving husband. Let's go up and ask this couple just to pray for us. Or maybe you have a need. Maybe it's something that you can't fix. Maybe there's a physical problem. Maybe, there, maybe it's, I don't, I don't know. All I know is, why would you not want to be prayed for? if you feel a need. So I say, be strong and courageous. Find one of these people. Just walk up to them. Give them a sentence, just one sentence, and let them pray for you. And you know what? Something amazing might happen. And you will never know unless you try. Let's pray. So Father, I ask you, will you, by your grace and your will and your plan, Will you help us to be your children? Father, I know that you want us to be strong and courageous the way you want us to be. And you want us to know that you are with us. Thank you. Oh, Father, thank you for the promise that you are with us. What would we do if we didn't have your promise? Father, I pray for your people now then, Lord. Now we turn our attention to the bread and to the cup. And we remember again the matchless love of the Savior. I pray, Father, that you would be really happy about what you, you hear in our thoughts and you read in our minds. And Father, will you do what only you can do? I ask, Father, for works of power when people seek to be prayed for. For your glory, we ask it. Oh, in our joy, too. Amen.